Section 46, Introduction. The converts to the church in the vicinity of Kirtland were pouring in as new members at an unprecedented rate. Those in charge of the various congregations were excluding any from attending unless they were members of the church or golden prospects as sincere investigators. Some of the new converts were from denominations that were accustomed to extravagant physical exhibitions, which they attributed to the Holy Ghost. It was under these circumstances that Joseph sought the instructions of the Lord. And here's the text of section 46. Hearken, O ye people of my church, for verily I say unto you that these things were spoken unto you for your profit and learning. But notwithstanding those things which are written, it always has been given to the elders of my church from the beginning, and ever shall be, to conduct all meetings as they are directed and guided by the Holy Spirit. Although this revelation was given to Joseph Smith, it was addressed to the entire church for their profit and learning. To begin with, the Lord said all services were to be conducted by the elders in charge according to the dictates of the Spirit. While serving on a mission in England and while I was called upon to preside over various branches, I would assign one or two speakers to take up a given amount of time and then call others out of the audience, as the Spirit indicated, to bear their testimonies. This had two wholesome results. It kept the audience alert during the meeting and prayerfully wondering what they would say if they were called upon. Furthermore, during the week, the members would watch for scriptures or experiences that would be worth relating if they were called upon at sacrament meeting. Nevertheless, ye are commanded never to cast anyone out from your public meetings, which are held before the world. Now the Lord provides guidelines concerning attendance at public meetings of the church. The general rule is that everyone should be allowed to attend church services. Of course, it goes without saying that anyone can be removed from the meeting if they are unruly and disturb the peace of the services. Ye are also commanded not to cast anyone who belongeth to the church out of your sacrament meetings. Nevertheless, if any have trespassed, let him not partake until he makes reconciliation. This general rule would mean that all members of the church would be welcome to sacrament meeting. However, if a person has committed offenses against the Lord, they should not partake of the sacrament until they have made reconciliation with any person they have offended, or with the presiding elders if it is a breach of gospel principles. Notice that this is usually a matter of conscience with the individual member, but anyone who has been disciplined by church officials will be instructed to refrain from partaking of the sacrament or performing church functions until there is a reconciliation. This particularly applies to those who have been disfellowshipped or excommunicated. And again I say unto you, ye shall not cast any out of your sacrament meetings who are earnestly seeking the kingdom. I speak this concerning those who are not of the church. And again I say unto you concerning your confirmation meetings, that if there be any that are not of the church, that are earnestly seeking after the kingdom, ye shall not cast them out. 
There is a strict command not to exclude people who come to any of the meetings as investigators seeking to know more about the gospel. But ye are commanded in all things to ask of God who giveth liberally, and that which the Spirit testifies unto you, even so I would that ye should do in all holiness of heart, walking uprightly before me, considering the end of your salvation, doing all things with prayer and thanksgiving, that ye may not be seduced by evil spirits, or doctrines of devils, or the commandments of men, for some are of men and others of devils. Wherefore, beware lest ye are deceived, and that ye may not be deceived, seek ye earnestly the best gifts, always remembering for what they are given. All the participants in speaking or teaching should seek the guidance of God in what they shall say. Such prayers should petition the Lord to help the speaker or teacher deliver a message which is in harmony with the desires of the Lord. And one should be especially sensitive to the doctrine of the adversary, which may be promulgated by the whisperings of Satan or prompted by the self-serving aspirations of certain men. For verily I say unto you, they are given for the benefit of those who love me and keep all my commandments, and him that seeketh so to do, that all may be benefited that seek or that ask of me, that ask and not for a sign that they may consume it upon their lusts. Those who seek the gifts of the Spirit will be a benefit to all of the members of the church. However, it is evil to seek for a sign or something spectacular they can boast about in their talks. Those who are sensitive to the Spirit will know immediately when someone is claiming manifestations or experiences that are merely to exploit his own lust for honor and distinction. And again, verily I say unto you, I would that ye should always remember and always retain in your minds what those gifts are that are given unto the church. For all have not every gift given unto them, for there are many gifts, and to every man is given a gift by the Spirit of God. To some is given one, and to some is given another, that all may be profited thereby. The members of the church should be alert to the various gifts of the Spirit, and seek to cultivate those gifts of which a person may become aware. Everyone who has received the Holy Ghost and been confirmed a member of the church is entitled to have one or more of the gifts of the Spirit. Whatever gifts a person may receive should be exercised for the benefit of all. To some it is given by the Holy Ghost to know that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that he was crucified for the sins of the world. To others it is given to believe on their words, that they also might have eternal life if they continue faithful. Some have a gift to know with a full certainty that Jesus is the Christ and the gospel is eternally true. Others may not have the same personal testimony, but do believe the words of those who do. And again, to some it is given by the Holy Ghost to know the differences of administration as it will be pleasing unto the same Lord, according as the Lord will, suiting his mercies according to the conditions of the children of men. And again it is given by the Holy Ghost to some to know the diversities of operations, whether they be of God, 
that the manifestations of the Spirit may be given to every man to profit with all. One of the truly great blessings of the Spirit is to enjoy the gift of discernment. One endowed with this gift shall have the ability to distinguish the righteous from the wicked and the reliable ministers of the Lord from those who are pretenders or impostors. A person learns he or she has the gift of discernment through experience. And again, verily I say unto you, to some is given by the Spirit of God the word of wisdom. It is a rare and wonderful gift to have the capacity for wisdom in order to give guidance and direction. Brigham Young gained a widespread reputation for having wisdom in giving advice, both spiritual and in secular matters. To another is given the word of knowledge, that all may be taught to be wise and to have knowledge. And again, to some it is given to have faith to be healed. And to others it is given to have faith to heal. Another wonderful gift is the faith to be healed or to perform the ordinances of healing and have it visibly apparent. And again, to some is given the working of miracles. There are those who have the gift of performing miracles when they petition Heavenly Father to grant them. This is a rare gift and must not be abused or it will be taken away. Helaman's son Nephi was told by the Lord that he would have a broad spectrum of miraculous power. And the Lord said he granted this gift because he knew that Nephi would never use it until he was told to do so by the Lord. And that's in Helaman chapter 10 verse 5. And to others it is given to prophesy. The gift of prophecy involves the gift of revelation, visions, and promises direct from God. Heber C. Kimball was widely known in his day for the remarkable prophecies he made, some of which were fulfilled in his own lifetime. And to others, the discerning of spirits. The wonderful gift of discernment is something we have already mentioned. And again, it is given to some to speak with tongues, and to another is given the interpretation of tongues. The gift of tongues is designed to allow members of the priesthood to teach the gospel by means they do not have the capacity or language skill with which to communicate. The Lord's apostles were able to do this on the day of Pentecost. A number of general authorities in modern times have enjoyed this gift. Brigham Young was one of the earliest members of the church to receive this gift. The first day he met Joseph Smith, he was called upon to pray and did so in the Adamic tongue. This was the first time Joseph Smith had ever heard the gift of tongues, but he was given the interpretation of tongues and not only understood Brigham Young, but was told which language he was using. This is set forth by Preston Nibley in Joseph Smith the Prophet, page 152. And all these gifts come from God for the benefit of the children of God. All of the gifts of the Spirit come directly from God as a special endowment to be used for the benefit of the entire church. And unto the bishop of the church, and unto such as God shall appoint and ordain to watch over the church and to be elders unto the church, or to have it given unto them to discern all those gifts, lest there shall be any among you professing and yet be not of God. The Lord says it will be given to the bishop of the church and the elders who are called to preside over congregations 
to have the gift of discernment, so they will know if anyone comes among the saints with false or satanical gifts designed to deceive or mislead the members of the church. And it shall come to pass that he that asketh in spirit shall receive in spirit, that unto some it may be given to have all those gifts, that there may be a head, in order that every member may be profited thereby. It shall be the prerogative of the president of the church to exercise any or all of the gifts of the Spirit when necessary. He that asketh in the Spirit asketh according to the will of God, wherefore it is done even as he asketh. If a person asks God for any of these gifts of the Spirit, it will not be given according to the will of the individual, but according to the will of the Lord. And again I say unto you, All things must be done in the name of Christ, whatsoever you do in the Spirit. Those acting under the influence of the various gifts of the Holy Ghost must always act in the name of Jesus Christ in order to have the approval of heaven. And ye must give thanks unto God in the Spirit for whatsoever blessing ye are blessed with. Any gift of the Spirit must be acknowledged with gratitude as a special blessing from heaven. No man can take honor unto himself for those divine powers when they are manifested. And ye must practice virtue and holiness before me continually. Even so. Amen. All of the gifts of the Spirit are sacred and must be practiced with virtue and holiness. This is the section that gave the church its basic guidance for worship services. These are to be sacred worshipful services with prayer, music, spiritual addresses, and tributes to our Heavenly Father and His Son. Section 47. Introduction. This revelation was given March the 8th, 1831, the same date as Section 46. Up to this time, Oliver Cowdery had maintained the historical records of the church, but now this assignment was delegated to John Whitmer. John was reluctant to take on this challenging and sometimes tedious task. Nevertheless, he agreed to do it if Joseph Smith received divine guidance that this was the will of the Lord. This revelation was the result. Here is the text of section 47. Behold, it is expedient in me that my servant John should write and keep a regular history, and assist you, my servant Joseph, in transcribing all things which shall be given you, until he is called to further duties. Again verily I say unto you, that he can also lift up his voice in meetings whenever it shall be expedient. It is apparent that John Whitmer is receiving two distinct assignments from the Lord. First of all, he is to keep a regular history or running account of events related to the development of the church. Second, he is to replace Sidney Rigdon in transcribing revelations or any future revisions of the scriptures. The Lord also reaffirmed John's responsibility as a member of the higher priesthood to speak up as a promulgator of the gospel in the meetings of the church. And again I say unto you, that it shall be appointed unto him to keep the church record and history continually. For Oliver Cowdery I have appointed to another office. The Lord wants John Whitmer to know that he is not sharing this new assignment with Oliver Cowdery, the former church historian. 
But John is being given this assignment as the official historian, and the Lord expects him to maintain a continuous narration of historical events. The Lord says Oliver Cowdery has received other assignments, meaning he has been released as church historian. Wherefore it shall be given him, inasmuch as he is faithful, by the Comforter, to write these things. Even so, amen. John Whitmer is admonished by the Lord to write the church history as he shall be inspired to do so by the Holy Ghost. With all the documentary material and the historical developments occurring, John will need the guidance of the Holy Spirit to guide him in what to utilize or include and what to exclude. Section 48, Introduction This revelation was one of a whole series given through Joseph Smith during the month of March, 1831. These revelations should leave no doubt in anybody's mind as who is running the church. Recent revelations had told them how to organize themselves to achieve economic prosperity. Who could attend the public meetings of the church with emphasis on inclusion, not exclusion, the decorum of church meetings, the importance of church records, and who should serve as church historian? But a new challenge was about to confront the saints in Kirtland. A rather large body of members of the church from various settlements in New York were about to arrive. They had had a most difficult trip traveling along the Erie Canal and then traveled by boat on Lake Erie to Fairport, where they disembarked. The Kirtland Saints had teams and wagons to carry them to their assigned destinations. The Lord said to gather in Ohio, but of course there was the practical problem of caring for this rather large body of saints. About 80 came with Mother Smith and Thomas B. Marsh. 50 more came from Palmyra with Martin Harris. And 70 came from Colesville under Newell Knight. The Colesville saints under Newell Knight were set up at Thompson some 16 miles northwest of Kirtland. The land was furnished by a convert from the Shaking Quakers named Lehman Copley. He had made a covenant to let them occupy a strip of land which was part of his property. He thereafter apostatized, violated his promise, and, as we shall see, created a chaotic condition among the Colesville Saints, which ultimately forced the entire company to continue their hazardous migration clear over to the western boundaries of Missouri. Meanwhile, the other saints from New York had secured temporary accommodations on the large farm of Isaac Morley of Kirtland, as suggested in the following revelation. It is necessary that ye should remain for the present time in your places of abode, as it shall be suitable to your circumstances. And inasmuch as ye have lands, ye shall impart to the eastern brethren. It is obvious that there will have to be temporary quarters for the eastern brethren before they continue west after the location of the new city of Zion has been revealed. And inasmuch as ye have not lands, let them buy for the present time in those regions round about, as seemeth them good, for it must needs be necessary that they have places to live for the present time. The immediate concern of the Kirtland saints is to find accommodations for the present time. The Lord even suggests that they might buy or lease land if sufficient quarters cannot otherwise be secured. 
it must needs be necessary that ye save all the money that ye can, and that ye obtain all that ye can in righteousness, that in time ye may be enabled to purchase land for an inheritance, even the city. The Lord cautions the saints to conserve their money and even work to obtain additional funds so that when they get to Missouri, they can purchase inheritances in the new city of Zion. The place is not yet to be revealed, but after your brethren come from the east, there are to be certain men appointed, and to them it shall be given to know the place, or to them it shall be revealed. The Lord says the location of this city has not yet been revealed. Nevertheless, as soon as the saints from the east have arrived, there will be a body of elders sent to Missouri, and they will have revealed to them the location of the new city. And they shall be appointed to purchase the lands, and to make a commencement to lay the foundation of the city. And then shall ye begin to be gathered with your families, every man according to his family, according to his circumstances, and as is appointed to him by the presidency and the bishop of the church, according to the laws and commandments which ye have received, and which ye shall hereafter receive. Even so. Amen. These elders will be directed to purchase lands in the vicinity of the new Zion Center and lay a foundation for the new metropolis to which the saints will be gathered. In this city of Zion, each family will be allotted a land according to their circumstances. The Lord refers to the presidency and the bishop as having the responsibility to assign the inheritances according to the circumstances and needs of each family. If you are enjoying this podcast with W. Cleon Skousen, you might enjoy his lectures recorded while at Brigham Young University, found at skousenlibrary.com.